Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. The Philacrosophy Podcast is brought to you by Oxia Time, a cool watch company focused on university-branded watches. John Canaris is the founder of Oxia Time, and he was the goalie at Penn in the late 80s who led his team to the Final Four. John is actually best known for being the goalie that Gary Gate dunked on in the Air Gate. Oxia Time makes beautiful, Swiss-made, authentic watches whose design and quality match the essence of the universities they represent. I can attest to the quality of these watches. John hooked me up with a sweet Brown University Oxia watch, and I think it's the nicest thing I own. Initially licensed with eight Ivy League schools, Oxia keeps adding new schools each month. One of the coolest things Oxia offers is custom timepieces to commemorate championships or to celebrate storied teams. Check out the UVA Lacrosse Championship watch. It's sick. Princeton did a really nice one last year as well. Oxia even did an LSU football championship watch this year. For any teams interested in creating a custom watch this season, Oxia will upgrade it at no extra cost to a championship watch if your team wins a conference or national championship next year. For players, parents, and coaches interested in custom team watches, check them out at oxiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Philacrosophy Podcast. Today, I'm really excited to welcome Ted Soikinen, all the way from Yaroslavl, Russia, which is about three and a half hours northeast of Moscow. I, I've been following Ted on Twitter for around the last six months, and I've, I've loved the content that he talks about in his philosophies, and I really need to talk to him. Ted is Director of Development for HC Locomotive, and head skills specialist for their U18, U20, and their KHL team. Ted, welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you so much for having me on, Jamie. It's an honor. Yeah, it's really cool, man. I, I, like I said, I've been following your Twitter. I, I screenshot and retweet and favorite <laughs> your tweets all the time. Um, and I'm really into this free play mode right now where, where the perception and the decision-making is really the biggest key, more so than the execution of skills. Um, normally I like to dive into people's journeys, but before we do, can you just give us all an idea of your overall 50,000 foot philosophy on player development and coaching? Well, player development and coaching, I think it's, it's, I look at it as basically being a parent. Like I have two kids and, um, when I'm, when I'm out there with my two kids, I got to be strict sometimes. But at the same time, because they're so young and everything else, I got to give them that freedom. I got to let them be creative. I got to let them find their own identity. And that's exactly how my parents, uh, you know, mentored me or parented me when I was growing up. And it's the same philosophy that I have there. And when I get into the rink and everything else, now I have 60, 70, 80 guys that I got to basically be a parent to, be a mentor. And I got to create that environment for them to actually grow. Um, do I have answers? Yes, I do have answers. Just like every parent has an answer for something because we've lived that life. We've studied, we've done stuff. But at the same time, 
players are the ones that have to figure it out. And so for me, my philosophy, it's changed over the years, obviously, but the last five, six years, I've really gone towards this player environment where, you know what, they got to figure things out because they're the ones that are going to be playing the game, whether it's soccer, lacrosse, hockey, basketball, football, it doesn't really matter what sport. They're the ones that are on the ice or on the field playing. So they're going to have to make the ultimate decisions. Now, my job is to help guide them and help them realize different areas where they could become better at, but it's just a two-way street. And that's where, you know, that open door policy player first environment um, really builds a big connection. And that's been my basic uh, guideline through the whole thing lately. You talk about unlocking and expanding the minds of your players. Um, how does this, these environments, how does it do that? I don't provide answers, right? So no matter how much we want to step in, uh, everything is guided through questions. You know, it, whatever the environment or whatever we decide that we're going to work on. So we'll have like, usually what happens during the practice is that we'll have a principle of the day. And the principle of that day is going to be based off of the practice from before with their teams or with the game that was prior. And I group the players into areas where you can start seeing them that they're each having like a difficulty in certain environments on the ice, whether it's perception, action, whether it's some kind of technical movement or whatnot. So we're putting them together. Then we're recreating that environment for them on the ice and not providing them the answers. They're having to find the solutions for it. And then we always base it off of, off of questions, what they saw, what they didn't see, what they could have done and how did they feel during this so now you can start getting inside the mind of the player. So now you can start unlocking different areas inside them to help them perform better. The skills are solutions. Is a quote. I can't even remember where I heard it. Uh, it's probably, I don't know who made it up, but, but uh, it really applies to what you're talking about. Cause you create these environments that they have to figure out. Right. Um, and whether it's closed space or smaller net or more defenders than less defenders, whatever it is. And then your mat, is your job kind of trying to figure out how to create these environments to hopefully elicit responses that, that help them figure out solutions? Of course, because when, when you're looking at it, like I'm not exactly sure how the lacrosse game goes, but I'm guessing by judging off of like Instagram and Twitter and you're seeing videos, like in hockey, a lot of guys like to take moves that they see in the NHL, the top pro leagues, and yeah. they like to reverse engineer some kind of skill that they saw Sidney Crosby do or Evgeny Malkin. Totally. And then they're going to teach that to the guys. So now this is the new skill of the week. But what happens is that all of a sudden when we start doing that, you start putting that in the conscious mind of the, of the player. So now, you know, your conscious mind can only handle four activities at once and it can't really handle them that great. So all of a sudden you have this new skill that you put inside their head and all, all they want to do is find areas where to use it. Right. Instead of it happening organically, they're trying to, you know, you reverse engineer it. They look good in practice against a cone, singular and all that. And then you put them in that environment where they have to use it all the time. So it looks good. But then also when you put them inside of a real game, they're constantly looking for that to use it, but they can't find it. So they end up trying to make moves and they all of a sudden you're making more and more and more mistakes, which means that your you know confidence level starts going down. So what we try to do is like, if you find something like that or a player brings that to your attention and you want to elicit that, that skill, well, then we throw them in that environment where you're going to try to bring it out of them 
but they have to be aware of their surroundings, understanding where I'm at on the ice. Do I have teammates? How much pressure do I have? You know, like where, where's, where's the pressure coming from? All that plays into effect into everything that we do. <laughs> I, I totally agree with you that when you try to teach something, you see some amazing skill, whether it's Sidney Crosby or whether it's John Grant Jr. in lacrosse, you see some amazing skill. And what I found is it's, it's actually pretty easy to, to teach them, to present it. It's pretty easy for them to learn how to do it. If you put them in a drill that, you know, against a cone, no problem, against a defender, no problem, against a few defenders where it's scripted, they can do it. And what I found is they actually just never do it in games. I don't even think they do look for it. And I think that's like the flip side. Like I think looking for it too much and trying to find it is one, is one thing that happens. And the other thing I, that happens is I see these kids that have like this massive repertoire of stuff they know how to do, but they actually never remember or recognize opportunities, or maybe they just don't have the confidence to use it. That's the other side of it, right? So, you know, going into this thing I've talked about before was that I have a seven-year-old boy. He plays hockey as well. And um, I was watching last season, they were doing like these small area two-on-two games. And I was just upstairs watching and I was just, decided to make a little list about all the different skills that he does that everybody wants to teach independently. Yeah. So he was doing open hips, which means that your, your skates are coming out, your hips are open, which means you have a little bit more body area to, to make a play. And he's, he's doing this, he's stopping on one leg, he's cutting back, you know, he's protecting the puck and it's just happening during the game. A couple days later, I bring him on the ice and I'm just kind of like, okay, let's have some fun. So I put a couple cones out there. I was like, do it. Do this move. I show him. Now you can do it. Couldn't do it. For the life of him, could not do it because he just tries to do the open hips where you got both uh, toes coming out like a baller- uh, ballerina. And all of a sudden, like, he's trying to go to his right, but his right foot keeps kicking in and he keeps falling over, keeps falling over. You know, fast forward to, to the next practice that he has, they're playing a game again. Does it without even thinking. Amazing. It is amazing because it just, you know, that kind of like solidifies in my head. All right. So, you know what, the technical part, no matter what you're, you're trying to do, whether it's a small area game, just having some fun um, and the kids are just playing, they're going to be doing all the technical ability or technicalities that they're going to have in a game, but you know, they're doing it in an organic setting where it's just happening naturally. So it just kind of like always feeds back to me. It's like, okay, if they're automatically going to do this, how can we continue to set up our practices to elicit this effect? Right. It's funny because you can get someone to do it against the cone and do it in structure and they can do it. And then they get into a game and they never do it, or you can not teach it at all. You let them do it in a real game and then they can't actually do it against the cone. Which would you rather have? I'd rather have the game guy. (laughs) It's like we always say in hockey, you know, you're either a practice player or a game player. Which one do you want to be? I mean, you can look, you can look fantastic in practice, but when the game hits, you're, you're invisible. So you want to be a, you know, practice. I always look at it as it's gotta be failure. Totally. Like I tell the players all the time, I'm like, you're not going to look nice. I tell the people that we work with our bosses and everything else that film everything. It's like, you're, you're going to see complete failure. They're going to look like, you know, just terrible hockey players to a sense. But what's happening is that you're, you're building up things that they're uncomfortable doing. 
so that when they get to the game, they've already been in those situations where they've been uncomfortable. Now it's going to settle down and all of a sudden become comfortable doing it. Right. Yeah. It's so interesting. Um, when you think about this, um, being uncomfortable versus being comfortable. And I think that's a really interesting thing to think about too. On the one hand, it makes a lot of sense to make people really uncomfortable and put them in environments that are really difficult. But on the other hand, sometimes when they have an opportunity just to play and, and just literally just play and try things, and it's the failure of trying something and having the confidence to do that, maybe when it's not that uncomfortable, that is actually equally as important. And, and Ted Creighton, another Minnesota guy from Joy of the People, talks about this all the time with this underloading concept. And I wanted to see if you had any thoughts on that. Well, I, I've, I've read a lot about the uh, uh, Joy of the People. I, I read their tweets and everything else. And I think that they're, they're onto a great thing with everything on there. Uh, you know, like when you're putting the players in an area where – they're not afraid to do stuff where, where the coach is just a facilitator, you know, like we're, we're just there and, and you're allowing them to be free and, and doing, doing what they, they love to do. All of a sudden you start seeing that joy come out. You're seeing that creative side come out and finding solutions to all the different problems that are happening on the ice that we can't think of sometimes where they're having it. The one thing like I, I like to look at it as is that when you're within a practice sense and, and you're trying to, you know, find solutions to, to different areas, whether it's technical or tactical, to let them fail on a sense, let them be creative in that. Yeah. But then you're always going to come back to them and never into a negative side of it, never, never a negative tone or anything else, because you want to actually get inside their head, figuring out what they saw. What did you think every time that they make a move or they, they make a decision on the ice or on the field, they're doing it all their perception of what they saw on the ice. We always see something different because we're looking at it as the game as a whole, but we're never inside their head or their eyes to find out that solution. So I think what we have to be able to do is step back sometimes and start asking the question, why, what did you see and what were you expecting out of that result? Because once we're able to get into that area, we're able to connect with them because they could have a brilliant, you know, actually brilliant thought that could have came out of it. Right. But like you and I both know little things happen, especially on the ice where we have grooves and cuts and snows building up. Maybe the puck hops over the stick or something else that just happened in that situation where it failed, but it wasn't a failure because he did it wrong. It's a failure because the, the, the environment screwed it up, but the thought is where you have to reinforce that into let's do it again. Yeah. That was great. And, and, and what I always thought good coaches were able to do would be not only just create an environment, but actually create a result. And I think I had it right on the first part, but I really didn't on the second part because I could create the result. I could actually make, with my voice, I could make anything happen that I wanted to happen and practice could look great. And it did. And it's not like we had no success that way. We did, but I, I always, I always had this question of why is it that these players are not doing as many things in games as they can do in practice. And, and it was really because 
I, I, I was making it happen. They have to fail and they have to play in an environment that is without structure where they can figure it out because games are basically without structure. You can't structure a game. And right. so that is, was such an important thing for me to learn. But that's the thing though, is like when we structure the practices, like um, we structure it for perfection. We, we want to see uh, certain routes. I'm sure the same thing is in lacrosse. You want to see certain patterns happening as a coach. And like we look at hockey, we have all these different breakouts and neutral zone and everything else that's happening. So we want to be able to see left wing over to right wing with the puck and all that. And it's so crystal perfect in practice sometimes and that puck just whizzes. Yep. And then we get inside of a game and, you know, all of a sudden the defenders are cutting that off because they've already studied film on us. Right. right? So, so they, they know where they're going to go. They know what we like to do. They know what our habits are. Then we get back to the bench and then all of a sudden the coach is writing on his whiteboard, like, Hey, we want this, we want this, we want this. Well, we tried that. It's not there. So all of a sudden, like, you know, are we, are we allowing, are we making the players play our game that we want to see like the scripted game? Yeah. Or do we want that player that understands, okay, the other team is doing this against us. Can we switch on the fly and do something else that can be a little bit more creative to break it? I mean, because once we get back to the bench and we tell the player what just happened and how to break it, all of a sudden the next, the next time they're on the ice, it could be a totally different situation again. And then you're just playing catch up the whole time sometimes. Yeah. And to sort of, you know, you want to give the, the team some kind of structure to play within a, a, a team, a framework of, for teamwork. Right. At the same time, they have to just be able to play and know how to play. And that's, that's really the tricky part. And that's where in practice, I might stop it and make, and make them do it right when really I should just let it fail and let them, you know, the best way to make it right is to let them lose the game <laughs> that they're playing. Right. <laughs> I mean, instead of like getting fired up because the kids aren't doing what you want, how about just let them play it out and lose and then make it, make a punishment for the loser. So if you really want to get someone to, you know, dump the ball behind the net, like a Gretzky type of play, you know, then make that, make that a rule. And if they don't use that, then they'll lose the game and you don't even have to worry about it. It takes care of it for you actually. When you, when you let the game do the teaching. Of course. I mean, when you, like you're just talking there, like with that point system, if you can make like a small area game where the puck has to get behind the net, same thing like in lacrosse, the puck has to go behind the net. The minute you get that puck behind the net, you, the team's got a point you score, you got an extra point. So you could have a two point play on that. If you score regularly, you just have one. Right. So the team that actually, maybe a team never scores a goal against you and you tie at the end of the game, but they actually started doing the stuff that you wanted to elicit, you know, from them. Totally. Let the game do the teaching. Let the, let, let, let their, uh, let them lose. It's that simple. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the concept of fundamentals. There's fundamentals in every sport. Right. And um, I've been reading, again, a lot of your tweets where you're, you're talking about skills and where coaches, we want our players, you know, to do the fundamentals. And I don't even know what they would be in hockey. In lacrosse, it would be, you know, overhand. It would be, you know, run through a pass. It would be follow through when you throw it. All of these fundamentals. And I've been thinking a lot about this. And I think the big mistake people make when they think about fundamentals is they equate them with a particular skill. Because every situation is different and you can't say one skill is more fundamental than the other. They're all solutions in their own way. 
I wanted you to talk about that a little bit from your perspective um, on, on when you really want players to learn certain skills and how to, how to break out of that mold as a coach. Right. And then, you know, just to go back there quick too, is like that fundamental is going to be different for every player. Yeah. Because um, it doesn't really matter which player you have on your team. He may be fundamentally lacking in something else, but you're going to keep bringing up something fundamentally that he's already good at. Right. So, you know, it's, like in hockey, we have obviously skating yeah. and, you know, it's not the easiest um, sport to play because you're on that little thin blade and you got the outside, the inside edges, you got the stick as well. And plus you're going everywhere at a fast speed. So like our, our basically most fundamental skill that everybody talks about skating. So you'll see that whenever you read a tweet about hockey or on Instagram, how important edge work is being on the inside edge being on the outside edge finding your balance control you know all this and i always bring up to people is like and it'd be the same thing like in lacrosse with running you guys got to run everywhere why would you single out single out just skating or just single out running obviously no matter what drill you do you're gonna be skating you're gonna be running right all the all, all the time right and what we see in hockey is that it just drives me nuts is that we take the sticks out of the player's hands and we make them focus on skating certain stride, certain crossover, certain edge work. And we, we take the stick out of their hands because we want to get them to understand their body and feel balanced. A lot of coaches. And then we do that for five, 10 minutes for, you know, just for an example, then we put the stick back in their hands, which now is going to throw their balance off again, because you got, you just, yeah, got your stick back. Right. And now you're going to spend another five, 10 minutes doing that. And then we're going to add a puck, which is going to put your body control off again. So now you spend another, you just spent a half hour teaching the same thing where you could have just went with I always have that. I don't know how it is in lacrosse, but my, my idea is like this. If you can skate with the puck, you can skate without the puck. <laughs> sure. Right. So why don't we, look at the fundamentals and of course you can always take a kid out of line you can always emphasize something to the kids that you want them to be able to focus on for example yeah but you want to con you want to combine as many technical abilities as as you can into one and by doing that you're already teaching that body to absolutely process everything so your mind's controlling everything your body your balance everything's happening at once now, if you want to focus on certain things, you take the kid out and you talk to him about it because one kid's going to be different from the next. What you see a lot of is a five-minute drill. Coach doesn't see what he likes. He brings the whole group together and talks about the one thing he didn't like because he saw it on one or two players out of 10. Yep. The other eight guys don't need that feedback. Sure, it's nice to hear some of that stuff to be a reminder, but they probably lacked on something else that could have been very beneficial to them. So this is where I always get into that point where it's talking about individual feedback within a group that's relevant. The guys are going for 10 minutes or five minutes or whatever your, your, your drill length is going to be. Pull the kids out. You have so much time to do that. Pull the kid out one by one, talk to him individually, show him, let him do a little practice when he's waiting for his next turn. And then let them go again. But the fundamentals, 
it's always easy. I always get back to the fundamentals, get back to the fundamentals because that's going to win you games. That's going to make you better. But at the end of the day, you have to, de- you have to define what that actually is and for whom you're actually talking about. Right. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, the, the fundamentals to me w- would be being able to possess the ball, not how you do it. And that's the thing that I think people really don't realize. And it was kind of an epiphany for me recently. If the fundamental is put the ball, put the puck in the back of the net, you know, there's a lot of ways you can do it. And there's, it's different for every player. It's different in every scenario. And you should not say this particular technique is the fundamental because then you're missing the boat and all you're doing is pigeonholing the athlete. There's like in, in lacrosse, you switch hands all the time. And right. so there's a fundamental that says you need to be equal. And all that does is, is encourage players to always put their sticks to the outside as they're going to the net, which all it does is lose their angle. It would be like, they don't understand that if you're a lefty, you're better off, you know, on the equivalent of the right wing because you right. can get to the middle. And, they, and, and this, this fundamental becomes really what Brian McCormick um, calls like a fake fundamental. Um, and there's just so many, whether it's, you know, changing planes in lacrosse, they'll be like, oh, you must change planes, meaning start high and throw low. Well, if it was that easy, every time someone shot it low from high to low, it would go in. Of course, it doesn't go in. These commentators on TV are always like, oh, beautiful shot. He changed planes. But when the high to high shot goes in, they don't say, well, I don't know how that ball went in because he didn't change planes. You know, it's there's just and I'm sure it's the same in hockey. And this is the thing was kind of my point on this topic was the fundamental is more of the concept like like possessing like deception um you know like defending and helping and covering two people off off the ball or off the puck as opposed to a technique specific to one situation right so like you're dead on on that one because we have like this, I don't know, like they want to make, make these diagrams out about exactly how to shoot a puck. Right. Right. You know, and and you see it a lot on Twitter too, with baseball about how to hit the ball. But then you're seeing a lot of these guys are all a little bit different. Barry Bonds is different than Mike Trout, you know, a little bit. Totally. And you're seeing like with the, with, with hockey, like they want to make these diagrams about how to skate the proper forward stride. Then you got the proper wrist shot, how to take a slap shot. And these are the fundamentals. This should be locked. You should be turning your hips. Your back leg should be out. Okay. So I remember this really, this really got me one time. Uh, we were having to go off these diagrams because that was part of like what was in the club before. And um, the next day I put up a, a video on Instagram of Patrick Laine from Finland who plays in the Winnipeg Jets. And he's one of the better snipers in the NHL. And he takes these couple quick shots or whatever else, but not one part of his lower body was how we were trying to teach the players based exactly. off of these. So the guy, one of the, one of the guys on the team, he just writes to me on Instagram. He goes, coach, but we, we didn't do that yesterday. He didn't do it right. I'm like, then you're starting to think and you're like, okay, now, it really kicks it into your own head. It's like, okay, well, you know what? Situations call for different ways. You got to get the puck to the net. How you get it there, you know exactly. what? Does not matter. Right. 
So if I have time and I have space and everything else, okay, great, I can do it. But the other problem that we have to look at, and maybe it's the same in lacrosse, but if you have time and you have space and you're going to load up perfectly for this, now the goaltender is able to get set as everything else because now he's ready for you. So what do you want? You want deception. Now, I always talk about when we're talking about skating, when we're talking about stick handling or shooting, for example, those three fundamentals, we have principles. There's principles in there, but those principles are always going to be bent depending on that player you're working with. What are his biomechanics? How does he skate? How does he want to shoot the puck? And now what you can do is that you can bend those principles to help mimic and get him better at his game. Totally. And there's going to be differences with different athletes, with different sizes. There's a difference between a right-handed lefty and a right-handed righty. There's a difference between probably the curve you play with or in lacrosse with the pocket depth. If you have a quicker release, you're going to have a little bit of a shorter, tighter stroke than if you've got, you know, and I'm, I'm just talking about lacrosse now. Um, no, no, it's the same. Probably similar. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to go back to something that's really interesting. So we kind of established that fundamentals are more, they're not exact skills. They are the, the, the process of receiving or, or possessing or passing and scoring um, deception as opposed to individual skills. But back to that Sidney Crosby thing, there are some really cool skills that it, you want to be able to show certain players because sometimes they did it and don't even know they're doing it. And, and that's, that's natural and great. We've all done that. That's the beauty of free play. But it's not a bad thing to watch it on film and to, and to realize what you just did. Because there does become this merger between unconscious and conscious where you kind of, you're aware of what you're doing, but you're not thinking about it. And so I want to talk a little bit about how you develop that in players. Well, like what we do is we have, like with every drill that we do here in the club, uh, when I'm on the ice, is everything's videoed everything yep. so like i talked about before we're working with the upper echelon of the players so like they're on their way to the professional ranks so when we when we do a drill they rip through it and then they watch it quickly after while they're waiting for their next rep There's oh, a few so guys in real time there. you're watching video when you're not in. yeah yes so we have a we have a lot of coaches on the ice that are helping everything else so that we're, we're going through this and we want to bring up, we want to bring that attention to them. Like you're just talking about, sometimes they do it. They don't know they do it, but it worked or it didn't work. So if they did it and we know they want to do it, okay, why didn't it work? Let, let's see how your spacing was. Let's see what your deception was before. How did you set up that skill? Right? Because everything's all about the setup. It's not what's happening at that moment. Right. It's the setup. It's the prior. So how do we, you know, what, what did you do prior to it to set it up? So then now all of a sudden, like, you know, now they're looking at it like, oh, okay, coach, I got that. Right. And, and, and they're starting to see it. And then if you want them to do special moves or if you want them, like you, you think you can add something to a player's skill set, bring it up to them. Hey, why don't we try this on this one here? Just try it. See what happens. I love that. It's a setup. It's all set up. And that's why you always see like hashtag reps, you know, everyone's like reps, reps, reps. It's good. We'll get more reps. And all they're doing is repping out the execution of the skill, which is back to, it's not that hard to do. 
anybody can execute a skill on command or in structure. The reason why the processing and decision-making is so important, because like you said, it's all about the setup. You gotta be able to set it up for yourself. And if you can do that, that's, that's real IQ. That's what Ted Creighton would call fluency. Well, if you look at it too, now, so I don't know, like for us, a lot of coaches will put a lot of cones on the ice or like little tires and everything else that are all over. Mm-hmm. And they'll be working on stick handling moves with some skating, skating techniques coming into it. And whenever you see that happen, the kid will come straight up to the cone. He'll make his move. He'll get around it. And it'll look, it'll look nice. It'll look I can't good. deny it. I can't yeah. deny it. But what happens when that's a real defender? who now is, I don't know, let's say he's five foot six, right? And he's got a, he's got a stick that's going to be sticking out in front of him. Now he comes up and he's trying to get close to that defender just like he did the cone. He can't do it and pop. Or stick just jumps out, knocks the puck off the stick, it's done. So my question is, why do we use cones? Like, we're on the ice, like, with the younger kids, we have 40 kids on the ice sometimes, all on different stations, Right. And then you have hundreds of cones and tires on the ice. And then you just have line upon line upon line. The kids are waiting for the reps. Well, why don't we use, instead of the cones, why don't we use the players? A real live action guy there. And if you want to make it so it's not full on, put the guy there and just tell him to move his stick. He doesn't have to move his feet or anything else. He can just move his stick around. But now what it's doing is it's, it's showing the, the player that's going at him spacing. It's showing them how do I set this up? Where can I go with it? Where, where are the um, geometrical forms on that player that I can put the puck through and around and get around them in a fluid motion? But now you're teaching like real life, real game scenarios, but it doesn't have to be as hard. It doesn't have to be as intense. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's co- you need context. You know, and even that situation, oh, it's-, it's a lot better – that's a lot better than a cone, but honestly, it's, there, there isn't a lot of other context out there either. And so that's, the, that's kind of like the hard part to figure out for coaches is they really feel like they need to rep stuff out. Um, well, it's, it's like the Bernstein, uh, Sean Mazaika on, um, on Twitter and Stu Armstrong, these guys. Repetition without repetition. Yeah. It's, it's that same kind of model like I just talked about. If, we are, if we're using players that are out there instead of cones, and now your next player is going to go, he's going to get his repetition, repetitions in in five minutes. There's no doubt about it. But every time he goes, depends on where that kid's moving his stick or how you make him or maybe you have him moving just a little bit, that repetition is going to change a little bit. It does, exactly. So now all of a sudden it's like he's going to see the same – you know, basically the same kind of context as he's coming in, but it's changing. So instead of going right, he's going to go left. Instead of putting the puck between his stick, he's going to put it between his legs. Instead of that, you know, what, whichever, he's going to pull it into his body. But now you're giving that kid repetitions, but without the same repetition over and over and over again. Totally. How's it going, everybody? Jamie here. Thanks for listening. If you've been enjoying the content in my Philacrosophy podcast, my Inside the Eight podcasts, or my a Lacrosse Weekend blogs, I would encourage you to check out the store at jamesfreesports.com. I've created awesome content for coaches, players, and parents in both men's and women's lacrosse. 
for coaches, the coaches training program. It's, it's a combination of cutting edge and practical. We have division one men's and women's coaches all the way down to high school, JV and youth. For players, I've created JM3 player academies, which are designed to teach every variation of every skill for boys and girls cross. And for parents, I've created JM3 recruiting portal, where I've taken all of the content from my blogs, my podcasts, from webinars and other interviews, and pooled all of this information in one place where parents can get access to incredible content and insights from the very coaches that you're hoping to play. Have you ever heard of or read um, blogs or video, seen videos on Raymond Verheim? Raymond Verheim, no, I haven't. You, you should, it's a really interesting guy. I, I forget where he's from, he's like Dutch or something. He's a soccer guy who is kind of world renowned teacher of the game. I, I heard about him from Ted Creighton. And I think Ted Creighton probably will call him a, a, you know, a mentor, even if he doesn't even personally know him. He says the guy is incredible. And I've done a lot of reading and, and he is um, in exactly the same uh, world of thinking as it relates to the, the, the most important thing is your processing and perception and then the decision making. And then, then you execute a skill when you make a decision. And he uses that, uses this, analogy of would you ever uh do a 10 against one game and you know a 10 against one and you'd be like of course not that'd be just way too easy for the offense so why are you doing four against none 10 against one is actually more competitive than than doing it against nobody against nothing and on air and so many people rep this stuff out they rep out off ball movements you, you talk about the patterns of your breakout i mean the breakout is literally going to be different every single time, depending on where they pick you up, how much pressure is on the puck, you know, whether they're, you know, how big, how fast they are, everything, everything changes. Everything changes. And, and that's the, that's the hardest thing. I'm sure it's the same in lacrosse. And, and at the end of the day, everybody's talking about IQ. Everybody talks about it. They're all like, well, you can't teach it. You can't teach hockey IQ. You can't teach soccer IQ. It, you're, you're just born with it. Some players have it, some players don't. So then my question always is to coaches, if you can't teach it, then why do you have 25 guys on your team? Because if you ask a guy of 25 players, he'll be like, oh, five guys have IQ. Okay, so then 20 don't. So then why are you wasting their time? If you can't teach it, why are you wasting their time? And he's like, ah, but we, we need them to have a team. Well, then they're bringing your team down. If you have 20 guys that just, you're, they're never going to learn the game. They're never going to learn to see anything. So why waste it? Just, just concentrate on your five that you have it. And this is where this whole perception is you have to be able to see and understand what you're seeing in front of you. Like in hockey, we have this, you know, it's, it's bad because if you just have the cones and you're looking at Instagram and you're seeing these, these new age skill trains that everybody's doing because everybody's a skill coach today. The eyes are glued to the ice and they're just stick handling the puck and they look like little wizards. Yep. But then they get to the game. They can't do it. Well, I wonder why, because they've never been taught to actually see what they should be looking for. And if you're not seeing and you're not perceiving what's out in front of you, how can you learn anything? Exactly. If, if you're walking down the street and your head is glued to the sidewalk and you got stoplights, you're in the middle of Moscow or New York City and there's stoplights, everything else, and your head's just glued down and you just keep walking, 
you're going to get hit. <laughs> Unless you're walking with somebody that has a leash on you and is going to stop you, correct? Right. So that's why I always ask, you know, like coaches, I always say, hey, can we, can we, you know, involve something where they're going to have to proceed? Can we involve a second guy, a third guy inside this against somebody else? Because the guy with the puck is not the most important person. It's the guys without the puck that are more important because they're the ones that have to get open for the puck carry to make a decision. And if we're not letting the players make decisions and get things happening, we're not going to expand their IQ. Ted Creighton talks a lot about fluency when players really know how to play. And he talks about verbal and the verbal and nonverbal communication between players and their teammates, as well as players and their opponents. And it's, it's so interesting. So obviously the, the communication, the verbal or nonverbal communication between teammates is something that's, it's hard to come by to the degree you think you should, but it's pretty easy to understand. The nonverbal communication with opponents, that's deception. That's setup. That's I'm selling this because I know that I want to do that. And that's IQ. That's what IQ is. That's fluency. And that cannot be taught by anything other than the game. And that's one thing that we work on a lot with. I, I was talking to another lacrosse guy a couple of days ago. He, um, Justin, we had a nice little hour meeting in the morning and um, we were talking and I asked him, I go, how often do you have, like, if you have a game or maybe it's a one-on-one or two-on-one or two-on-two setup. And I go, how many times do you have the defensive player tell the offensive player what he saw or what the offensive guy could have done differently? And he's like, never. I go, why not? Because a defensive player saw exactly what he saw. So why not allow the defensive player and the offensive player to have that conversation between each other we do it here so the defensive player could be like you know you had me beat if you just kept going because my skates were turned this way my hips were out my shoulder was this whatnot and then the offensive player also says this things back to him if he got beat or if he beat the defender hey next time when i did this i'm trying to make that shoulder move into the middle just keep your body square on me and don't cross the feet for example now you're getting that connection between the two of them and their teammates, right? So if they're teammates and they're doing this, it's only going to help them come together when they're playing in a game because the other, the opponent's going to do exactly the same thing that his teammate did. No doubt. But you just got to be able to pick up those cues early. And that comfort level in communication is not something you can teach either. You can work on it. You can talk about it. There are going to be some, some kids, some athletes might, might just naturally communicate better than others. But again, it all comes back to processing. You have to be able to anticipate what's happening. That's the only way you can really communicate. You know, it's really easy to say, I got, I got ball or, you know, I'm, I got the puck. <laughs> yeah, like, that's pretty easy, you know, but it's all the rest of it um, that you have to kind of learn. Now I sent you some videos before this talk of uh, us from the summer playing a lot of different pickup games. And I've, you know, for the people on this, listen to this podcast, they know I talk about free play all the time. I've shown some of these videos, but what, what were some of your thoughts and what did you notice, you know, as a hockey guy, just watching free play, some of the things that you saw? 
Well, a couple of things. Uh, there was I can't remember which the name of the video was uh, on the tennis court there, but the one thing I really loved was you could hear the communication between the players that had the ball or the team that had the ball. Yeah. And, and the one thing was, was that what I noticed was that they weren't running behind the defenders. So like I call that being like falsely open. They mm-hmm. think they're open because they're behind a the defender. They're actually running in front and they're trying to cut off that area where they could get into that open space and be calling for that ball as they were moving. And they were actually also with their sticks or whatnot, giving like a little bit of cues about which way they were going. And the guy with the ball or with the, the ball and the stick would sometimes get that little bit of a fake coming on one side and then quickly kick it out back towards the other side where the guy was moving into. Right. Like to me, and I think the biggest takeaway when I was watching your videos was the facial expressions of the players. <laughs> there was not one person that looked like he was not enjoying being there. In everybody's facial expressions, they were all like, Okay, some of them were getting beat, but there was not that uh, expression of, oh, I got to do this again. Right. It was fun. That's so interesting. I never thought about it, but like, you know, you've got, you got little kids when they're in the middle of something, you know, like if my son was, you're, you know, seven years old, I could be like, Colin, Colin, Colin. And he wouldn't hear me at all because he's so engaged in what he's doing. And Part of what you were talking about with the facial expressions as far as being happy to be there, but they're also so engaged. And how many times have we been frustrated by a player that just doesn't seem engaged? But yet all of these players were engaged really the entire time. They were never not engaged. And how do you explain that? Well, I think that comes down on the coach. I mean, we can get frustrated. And I, I know you've been there. I've been there many times where you get frustrated. You're like, how can you not enjoy being on the rink? How can you not enjoy being out on the field? I mean, this, this is fun. But then I have to do my own soul searching on that. That's my fault. It's not the player's fault. It's my fault. Because I possibly that drill, possibly that session or whatnot, I didn't put enough into it that was going to spark his interest. That's one side of it, right? Now, if I can honestly be honest with myself on that side of it and be like, hey, you know what? We had 90% or 95% of the guys were engaged. They, they found it. Now it's also my job to figure out why those guys weren't engaged. And I think, you know, we tend to look at sport as being with on the field or with inside the rink. And that's not true. Sport is we, we got to encompass the whole player. And that means the outside life. I mean, we, sometimes we got to be their intermediary because maybe they had a bad day at school. They don't want to talk to their parents about it. Maybe something happened with their girlfriend or boyfriend or something. You know, we don't know what it was. Maybe they didn't have a nutritious meal. Maybe they're hungry. I mean, we don't know, but we have to figure that out. And I think like when we talk about sport, we can't just look at the 60 minutes that we're together every day. We got to look at what else is out there. And I think this is our job as well as to help educate the parents because our area is that's their free time. That's their pleasure zone for players. That's, you know, we all did it when we played going to the rink, you turn off the rest of the world, 
But if you're having a bad day at the rink, then there's something else that's happening outside that's even worse that we have to be able to pick up on and try to piece that together. So I always talk about with our players is living a cognitive lifestyle as well, right? Because our brain is the one that's going to control our whole body. It's going to control our mood. It's going to control our body when we're being on the ice, our everything, our mindset, all of it. So you got to be able to figure out like, are they eating nutritious? Are they getting enough sleep? Are, you know, are they, you know, taking time to sometimes journal or, or really think about what happened everywhere else. And most importantly, do they have somebody that they can actually express their feelings to if something's also hurting them deep in? Yeah, for sure. I mean, when you get, when you get, especially to your level, I mean, these kids are older. What we were watching on those videos was, was true free play. And I think to figure out a way to merge those two worlds, the, the structured practice where you're trying to win a championship at high levels with the natural engagement that happens when you're just playing. Because as we were talking, I was thinking about when we say a, a player's not engaged and we, we assume he's not engaged. He might be totally engaged. We don't even know what he's engaged in. Like, what, what are we even talking about here? Like, what those kids were, they were clearly engaged in the game itself. Because, like you said, they weren't told to think about all of these other things. And maybe when you're engaged in thought of trying to, like, not get yelled at or do what you're supposed to do, you're not even really engaged in the game anymore. And um, it, it's like finding this balance of being able to – being able to just let players play because if they're playing a game, they will be engaged. If they're just playing a game, if you just let the kids play a three on three small area game, they'll be engaged. If all of a sudden you start having all these parameters and rules, like you said, they can only think of four things at a time or something. Um, it makes it really hard for them to engage. And I think, I think when they're off the, if the, and, and let's just say you have a drill where there's a lot of people standing around. Well, they're no. we expect them to be engaged in that. I mean, they're going to be engaged in a conversation with the guy next to them or whatever. That's like one of my favorite things is to have over getting ready for practices. As soon as you get on the ice, it's just a game. Just a normal, like we, we have like our small area games, three on three. Well, what are the rules, coach? No rules. Play three on three. Yeah. Right against white. Let's go. Eight minutes. That's your warm up. And you just get that mood. Like that mood, the minute they can play that game, it's like, you're the best coach ever. This is awesome. Like they just, they just go. And then all of a sudden now you kick into the drill and now all of them are focused on you because also, you know, you do the drill, you play another game after the drill and then another drill and you play another game after that drill. So, and what we're trying to show these guys sometimes, like how we like to do our skill development is start with the game. We know what the habits that we want to work on our principles for that day we'll drill that a little bit inside of like a small contextual environment. And then we'll place that inside the game where they're going to get points for doing it correctly. They're going to get points if they actually, you know, make that deception. If they, you know, we yeah. see a deceptive pass, boom, you got an extra point on your team. Right. You know, and they and it's still a game, you know, turning your drills into games is basically so key to get what you want because, because the game is, unpredictable the game is on it's unstructured and so it's like why not get in the habit as a player of playing where they're where it's unpredictable and unstructured and is as opposed to the drill which right. the which is more about the coach trying to get something and accomplish something exactly 
I want to go back to this idea of the Sidney Crosby thing again. <laughs> it's so interesting to me because, because again, I'm, I'm just fascinated with, with stuff that people do in all sports. I, I love looking at hockey Twitter. I love looking at basketball Twitter, looking at Luka Doncic, looking at all these athletes operating and what they do and the skills that they're doing. And I'm always interested in trying to figure out a way to understand them and do them. So let's just say for me today, I was playing pickup with my daughter and a bunch of her friends. And um, I was intentional about doing a few skills that I've been thinking about. And I am at a level though where I can set it up. I kind of know how to, how to get there. Where do you draw the line? Because I kind of feel like with certain age athletes and, 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 and maybe less about age, maybe more about fluency, and, and there is a sort of a merger there between age and fluency that, that matters. But I, I do think that there are certain people that you can, you can have a conversation with them about something and they can probably put it right in their game. And then there's other ages and levels where if you have that same conversation, it might really screw them up. Have you thought about that? You know, like with, I have, and it's mostly with like the younger ages, like um, my, my son's age, like seven years old, you know, up to, I, I say up to about 13 years old, mm -hmm. let him, let him go. Just let him go. Like, let him go. And like, if, if you're going to teach him like skill or techniques and stuff like that, fill up their toolbox, but also let them use their toolbox. Yeah. You know, make, make the tool shed. And then you want to fill them up. That, that's great. Fill them up. It's just like the, the kids. Um, for example, when I look at kids, my my two my two kids. I have a thirteen year old daughter who speaks five languages. Wow. I have a seven year old boy who speaks Swedish, English, and Russian now. Never took any formal lessons in anything. Unreal. But it's just he's just in an he's in the environment, which just leads you to understand like kids are sponges. So we can put stuff into them, teach them a little bit about the game concepts at the same time, about how to use things here and there with their tools, like their toolbox that they have. They may discard some tools that they don't want to use because it doesn't fit them, for example. But you're going to see them start to use things. Um, but you, you should never get down on them for trying something. You should never get down on them for not doing what you told them to do because maybe it doesn't, it doesn't fit them. Right. But when they hit that 13-year-old level, you know, they hit, start hitting that puberty and they start coming up in there. I think that we can become a little bit more contextual with everything that we're going to give them. Like we think that this could fit into your game because of so-and-so and so like we have to give them a little bit of a story as well and make them understand that we've actually been really watching them. Like we really know their game and that for, for a kid or for anybody else, that's a little bit of an ego trip. And that's that special thing that, Hey, you know what? Coaches really watch me. Mm -hmm. He knows I like to do this. He believes in me. He, you know, and all of a sudden, now when you want to introduce something to them and give them something new that they should add to their game, like a Crosby uh, open hip kind of move and stuff like that, they're going to be more willing to try it because you've opened up and you've made them believe in you and because you believe in them. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's, it's, I think you're right on with, with, with those ages, but I also think that that 13 year old, it's not like a, it's not a very, it's not a skinny line. It's a pretty, pretty thick line because yeah. you could go right up to 16 or 17, depending on how really 
how how much unstructured play they've had. I, I've what I've found is, and I've done a lot of coaching of of in structure, and now I've been doing a lot of it out of structure. I could have the same conversation with an athlete about the same concept of using deception, for example, right, for a year straight on Zoom calls, and and if that athlete w- wasn't and that athlete wasn't doing a lot of free play, so therefore they never had the ability to implement. Whereas the kids that do play free play, I, I could have a conversation about that stuff. And then within a month or two, they're doing it, whether they knew it or not. And that's, that, that goes back to this concept that is really counterintuitive and hard for most coaches to wrap their head around. But kids can actually figure out how to do it without you telling them. Oh, yeah. I mean, I want to go back to that, like that first real quick before we get into that, but the, the yep. 13 year old, that, that wide line that you're talking about, right? Yeah. You got the, you, you have the physical age and you have the maturity age as right. well. Right. And when we're looking at the male brain, the male brain doesn't, is not quote unquote fully developed until we're 25 years old. <laughs> so I know I got thinking, a 22 year old. Yeah. So he's still got a couple he's of years. There. He's getting there. He's getting there. Yeah. <laughs> But when we, when we look at that, that's a wide range. And like what you're talking about is that free play and then you got structure and everything else that's happening inside there. We have to be really aware about, that's why I was talking about getting to know the individual. You have to know where they're at because he may be physically big. He like, I, you know, 13 is always that guideline number. He could be just a giant. Yeah. And he uses his physical body to get by in the game because he's just bigger than everybody else. But maturely like up in the brain, he could be down at the 10 year old level. Right. We, we don't know unless we actually start to get to know. So you have to be very, you know, clear with that stuff and know who you're talking to. That's why you get to know the individual. And when we're talking about kids becoming sponges, everybody wants to stay away from kids and talking about tactics. I don't know. I don't know how it is in the cross, but you know, like in, in hockey, everybody's like, ah, you don't need to talk about tactics too early. Why not? The kids, you, you have to give them credit. You put a couple kids out there with a, with the ball outside with a couple friends, they're going to figure out some kind of sport they're going to play and have fun at it. Right. And they're going to build their own tactics to, to get around it. You can see them communicating between each other, verbally, non-verbally, everything. Yeah. So, I think if we can give the kids, you know, give them ideas, give them, give them what the game's about, make them understand certain things there, like give them credit for that, but then step away. Right. And let them now figure out things like it within a free play environment. Totally. Within a game. Because, because they're going to come up with their own tactics anyway. Why not give them a little bit of a jump start about what the hockey tactics are that you're going to see at every level growing up? Like there's no special age limit that you should be like, okay, now we're going to do this because yeah. we, we see it in hockey. Like they say fundamental, fundamental technique and skill between seven years old and 12 years old. And then after that, we can work on, on uh, tactics and, and thinking why we just lost how many years. Yeah, I agree. And by the way, the rules that you make within the little games that you're playing become the tactics, right? So if you have right. an open player behind the net and you play a little Gretzky rule, you know, you can give a point if they do that. It's maybe it's two points. If you go, if you swing it from, you know, one side to the other, you know, you can give a point for a given go. There's a lot of things that you can do that you can make 
and let them let them figure it out. But you can also introduce this this concept. Um, I think you know with seven year olds, it's probably you know you might leave it to a give and go. And with a twelve or twelve year old, you know maybe you're talking about you know how to pick and things like that. Um, but again, it, it really does come come down to this what I call free play poise that I've seen from the kids that have played more pickup and, and less, not less structure. Structure is fine. It's just, you got to play without structure. I think that's the thing that everybody doesn't realize. All right. When I grew up, I don't know about you. I don't know how old you are, but I'm, I'm like 53. I grew up I'm in 43. So I got 10 years on you. Uh, <laughs> I played mostly unstructured sports and you know, nobody could ruin it for me. There was not a coach that could ruin sports for me because I wasn't depending on that coach to teach me the game, to make me love the sport, to, 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 or, or, or I couldn't blame them because it didn't even matter like who my coaches were growing up because the game was really my coach. And, and, and nowadays, everybody depends on their coach to do everything for them. And I read all these tweets, well, a really good youth coach can instill confidence. I mean, I think a coach can probably ruin your confidence maybe if they're just getting all over you. But, but at the same time, you can't give confidence because confidence comes back to this concept of free, free play poise. And I don't know how much, how much pond hockey you guys play. You, know, you have to play growing up, but they, they play much pond hockey up there in, in uh, north of Moscow? Actually, I'm, 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 a, I'm a states boy. I'm from Minnesota. I know. Yeah, so so you must have grown up in Minnesota playing some pond hockey. Oh God, that was all we did. I was on. I was. I started skating when I was two years old. My my dad never played hockey. My mom, my mom was an artsy kind of uh, artsy lady. She wanted me to play the piano, so I started playing piano when I was three years old. I was playing hockey when I was two, and up in northern Minnesota, we we're about an hour and a half from the Canadian border. All we had was outside ponds. All we did was outside hockey growing up. Yeah, we had our team practice, but that was only like one hour a day, a couple days a week growing up. And all we did was we went outside and we practiced with all the neighborhood kids. Some guys were 16, we were eight years old, 10 years old, 17 year olds, and you're all playing at the same time. And I believe, and we all talk about it back home with all my friends from Minnesota because we're seeing how everything is. We didn't have specialty coaches right we didn't have skill coaches there was nothing like that growing up it was go outside and play you want to get better play and that was a rule of the house too my parents are like if it's nice outside you're outside whether it was summer summer was baseball and you know winter was hockey so i think free play those those days out on the pond and you can hear it from wayne gretzky in that uh documentary in search of greatness uh, have you seen that movie? I have. Incredible. Absolutely brilliant. And it's the same thing with Pele. He was playing soccer on the beach down there in Brazil. And then you have Jerry Rice, right? But those are the days where we talk about social competence. We talk about communication and everything else. You're an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 10-year-old on the ice with 16-year-olds, and you're all trying to play the same game. You learn to communicate. Yep. <laughs> you learn how to pass the puck. You learn how to get away from defenders. If you're not physically as strong as somebody else, you have to learn how to fend for yourself on that ice. And it was that social environment that also kept the control. There was no parents outside ever. 
moms and dads would show up about 12 o'clock every day with some McDonald's and put them in the warming shed for us. That And they'd go away then after that. And, you know, there was never like a 19 to one game. Never. Because you, you, you balanced the teams and you had matchups that worked. And if you were the best player, you might score the game winner because you want to win the game. But it was more about playing the game, number one. And number two, it became about setting up setting everybody else up. And so it's, it's interesting because, because when you say things like, well, the eight-year-olds got to play with the 16-year-olds or, or the, you know, Luka Doncic got to play with pros when he was 16 or whatever. That's awesome. That's great. But, but there's huge, there was huge benefit for those 16-year-olds playing, playing against 15-year-olds and 13-year-olds and nine-year-olds too, back to the Ted Creighton underloading concept. And same with Pele. You know, when Pele was 16, 15, 14, he was probably better than the 10 year olds, but it, it actually teaches you how to toy with people and it teaches you how to set people up and how to set yourself up to do something different or new. Nowadays, it's, it's, it's all about the best possible team, the best possible competition. And, you know, the, most of the kids that are high level lacrosse players and probably hockey players, they kill everybody. For a whole season, they just like they blow everybody out because they've they got more resources. And who learns anything from that? You know, it's like it's not even fun. You know, that was the great thing about the sandlot. Oh, it was fun. That's what that's what I think when you look at too is like we look at at our game. Um, and our game is becoming very expensive. Yeah. So parents are you know they're they're putting a lot of money into their kids uh, at early at earlier ages, and then you're watching them play like in their club hockey, like if. So if you're in a certain town, you're playing on that certain team. But then you have all the triple A's and everything else where they get the super teams together to go to tournaments, okay? But he's on his club team, and he takes the puck from one end to the other end. He could have passed the puck three or four times, but he doesn't do it because, you know, mom and dad want him to just go. Show everybody how good you are. But – and then you ask the kid, why didn't you pass to him? Well, he's not going to catch the puck. All right. But if you pass the puck there, are you not learning something to give the puck to the open person? Right. If you pass the puck to him, are you not like giving him some confidence that you trust him a little bit as well? So maybe, maybe he misses the first time or the second time, but you keep passing that puck. You're going to build confidence within your own teammates as well. But at the same time, if you want to think selfishly, you're thinking more of the game as well, because you're starting to see the ice. You're starting to see things differently as well. You're trying to work on different things because the better you are, the more you're going to have double, you know, double team, triple teamed and all that hit the open guy. The right. easier that becomes at an earlier age, the easier it's going to be able to transfer when you get older because you're used to being able to give up the puck or give up the ball and understand you're going to get it back later as you get better with better players. Totally. Part of the problem on that though, is that when you're playing a real game, you're really only going to get the puck, you know, a certain amount of times per game anyways. And when you're playing in a pickup game, you're playing pond hockey, you're out there for three hours, you're playing on a smaller area because you're not going full ice. You're playing probably half court or small, small area. And so, you know, you got no problem making passes because you're, you're out there all day long. And, 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 and that kid, by the way, who might not receive it well in a game because that would have been the only time that anyone passed to him in the whole 60 minutes, he's going to get the puck, you know, like, a hundred times in that two, two and a half hours of playing pond hockey. And so one of the things that people don't realize is that the, the acceleration of your skills in these pickup games is massive 
um, because just because of the fact that you're out there for hours, you can, you can sustain it. It's not as high intensity as a game. It's lower intensity, but, but, but the skills and the perception and the, and all of the fundamentals that we're referring to of that, those things, receiving, passing, setting up, they just happen so much more. But even if you're a younger kid, if you're 11 or 12 years old and you're playing in a full ice game, you know, and you know, like we always talk about winning doesn't matter. Winning shouldn't matter at those ages anyways. And there's not going to be scouts watching you at 12 years old. And, you know, I always talk to a kid, like, if you make that pass, even if it's in a regular game, you're not going to, like, you're, you're right. We're not going to have the puck as much as we would playing a free game anywhere else. But this is like a league game. And you make that pass. He doesn't handle it. Well, what are the other things that you as a player could work on during that time? Puck retrieval. You got to go get it back. Maybe you got to back check. Maybe you got to figure out like where, where the attack is coming from. So you're going to position yourself defensively better. But at the same time, you've already learned how to actually give up the puck to an open person. He failed catching it. Maybe he's not that great of a player. Okay. But on the flip side, you're also working on so many other parts of your game that are going to be needed when you get to the next level anyway. Yeah, no doubt. And I'm not even arguing that. No, that no, I understand that. You shouldn't make that play. It's just, I, I guess my whole point is the free play will take care of it. And then you can let the stuff happen in games and you can structure whatever you want. And you don't, you don't even have to worry about it. If you let back to the whole concept of, to me, it's a, it's like a panacea. Right. Um, so Ted, um, to give us a little uh, an idea of what you got going on right now with uh, with the locomotives, HC locomotive, as well as with your new business and, and how you're um, you're launching it this October. It looked like on your website. Yeah. Oh no, here here in locomotive, we're gearing up. Our pro season starts now September second, so a couple of days away. And the new regular season will open up. Then our juniors open up on the fifth. So we've been in training camp for two months already. Wow. Getting, you know, <laughs> Russia goes early. So we're getting the guys ready and everything else like that. Looks like a pretty young team for our KHL, our pro team, which is what the, you know, the club wants. Uh, why we put so much emphasis on our player development is try to get the guys from inside the club to make that jump up. And I think this year our average age is right now would be about 23, 24 years old. For the pro level wow so we're hunting for another championship with our juniors as well we had back-to-back uh, championships we were going for a third one last year but because of covid we got uh snuffed out they had to quit everything so Brutal. you know it's it's terrible but we're looking up uh looking upwards and forwards on that as far as the business side of it you know it's for me, for years, I've always done camps like with, with players. And the one thing that I've always wondered was how good are the players actually coming to me for three days or four days or five days, right? So, you know, we have camps all over the place and kids would always come in and you'd have them for five days. You'd see some improvements, but you, you never got to really follow up on them after because we all went our separate ways. I went to my club, they went to their clubs and then yeah. You see them up a couple months later, six months down the road. So what I decided to do, and it's actually twofold, is that there's only so many players like yourself in, in lacrosse and myself in hockey and others that are like me that we can actually be able to come in contact with these guys. But there's many more players in the world than there are just us. So I had an initiative now to actually start like coaching mentoring. 
It doesn't really matter the sport because sports all interlace, you know, everything intertwines. We're all doing the same thing. So trying to help uh, mentor coaches uh, in our sport to help, you know, elevate their game or see things differently to help the players that they come in contact with. And then on the player side of it, starting a mentoring uh, program on that, where they're able to get a non-biased feel, like where they're going to be able to have an intermediary that can look at their game, look at their practices, see where their weaknesses are, so that they have that clear view about actually what their identity is and how to improve. So that's where we're going with that. And then in the future here, we're putting together some like uh, IQ courses uh, for coaches on how to actually help enhance uh, hockey IQ and obviously that would be you know for any kind of invasion sports as well and then for for players like we always talk about technical skills and we talked about it before where I think like the technical skill thing is you can do a lot of that stuff off the ice or off the field on your own time and what I want to be able to do is put or putting together some series here for technical skills that kids can do at home and actually how they can change the variability of it. So they're not just standing still, you know, shooting the puck against the, against the board or against the net where they're at, but adding variability to it so that they can almost mimic a game, but they're on their shoes in, in a sense. Mm-hmm. So, you know, little different uh, av- avenues trying to go out there, but yeah, I love really it. want to just put more education into the, into the space of uh, coaches that we can all try to learn together. Yeah. I love that. I've been doing that sort of thing on the lacrosse side, a combination of uh, remote coaching and online education and coaching with coaches um, it, and, and video review. Um, it's really cool. Um, what's the name of your business again? That's uh, pretty easy. <laughs> Soikin and hockey. <laughs> so <laughs> I wasn't that original or creative in that Soikin sense. and hockey. That's <laughs> it. Uh, easier to say than to spell. Um, exactly. Good luck with the uh, with the season, and Ted, uh, keep doing what you're doing. I, I love reading your uh, content. Um, I'll I'll read and tune in to anything you write, and uh, it was really a pleasure uh, talking talking sports with you. I appreciate you uh, having me on, Jamie. It was a great time being here, and uh, appreciate the support. And I'll be watching you on Twitter and everywhere else as well. Thank you for uh, making me be better. <laughs>